0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. So in 2023, we spoke with Jody Brunning, sociologist and trustee of physicians and scientists for global responsibility a few times on a number of Topics, and uh, it's about time we caught up with Jody because it's 2024 and nothing stays still. So Jody Brunning joins us again. Hi, Jody. Good to have you back in 2024.
1: Hi, Paul. Thank you for inviting me back.
0: Okay, so I ask everybody this: How do you think this year is going to play out?
1: I think it's it's really concerning. I think the screws have been tightened on monetary policy. I think you know we've got a lot of young people and a lot of people that are unwell, and um, I see shenanigans happening with CBDCs and with um, government that I think reduces transparency and accountability. So we have a bit of a democratic deficit. So I'm, wow. I'm not sure about how we're going to go. All right,
0: let's start um, on CBDC because everybody's been talking late last week about that clip. The Reserve Bank Governor and his minions lined up there, presumably at a select committee. It looks like a very panelled room. Looks like Parliament somewhere, and obviously there are other people in the room that you can't hear what they or he says. um, Essentially, is that we print money, they believe it, (laughs) like the sort of masters of the universe. We're all dumb, and you know it's sort of a, a, a club feel, and it gives away the game really quite a bit out loud that, you know, fiat currency is really just magicked into existence. It's really not backed by anything. And it's a great business model, they say. So what did you make of those comments first off?
1: So, Paul, in the public interest, I'm going to quote Adri- Adrian or accurately, he said, it's a great business to be in, central banking, where you can print money and people believe it. Yep. Now, there's textbooks out here. I've got it in front of me, which I can show you. It's called Macroeconomics. It's-
0: You're holding it up. I see it. Yep
1: it's intended for universities by William Mitchell uh, L Randall Ray and Martin Watts and this book talks about how yes you can print money this is you know we've de- decoupled we're not on the gold standard and um and this is part of the the challenge of you know civilization to say actually we have money we print it out it's it's you know it's a currency um how do we steward it just like how do we steward health how do we steward the environment so this is our challenge so so for the last 20 years this or, or since we came off the gold standard it's we've sort of pretended that it's only hard currency whereas most money is actually you know printed out digitally you know um through private banks or through the appropriations process so we need to understand that 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 money is an instrument, it's a social instrument, it's a political instrument, and it's how we make the most of it. That is is the important thing.
0: Yeah. And um, over the last three years, depending on who you listen to in this country alone, over 300 billion might have been created and uh, put out there, which is pretty scary if you think about that amount. Um, The reason I think um, it's interesting to hear those comments is because if we're trying to work out what the thinking is about imposing a CBDC, you can kind of tell from that attitude the way that Adrian Orr says what he says and then all the laughing, like, yeah, we know that, and, oh, you know, that um, you wonder who has whose best interests at heart, really, in the
1: end. Yes. So, of course, we've got to drop the narrative of if we are printing money, we are going to go into poverty. So we have our own Reserve Bank. Um, it's I'm concerned about yes our current account deficit. That's different from from our Reserve Bank. I'm I'm concerned about private debt. So we we don't talk about this you know enough in society. So you know the Reserve Bank you know through the appropriations process. Um, you know, we yes, we print money to pay public servants to start. You know, a new you know state-owned enterprise. We could be. You know, there's so much we can do through um, through basically printing money. We have to be cautious. We do not want to um, increase inflation. For example. Uh, I often think about well, how do we talk about inflation that is coming from costs that are offshore? How do we um, consider what inflation is if um, our input, say, fertilizer, is costing much more, and then everyone else puts puts them puts prices up here to account for that? What happens if, you know, for example, farmers? Uh, accounting for the cost of fertilizer but they've also got increased cost on on um, their mortgage because of what the reserve bank's done is this in the public interest and is this just a local issue and we we actually don't I don't think we have a discussion on that so that's a little bit separate but it's it's sort of entwined because it all comes down to how we steward this and we don't talk about this publicly enough so so what we have yes we have the reserve Bank saying, that they, they are wanting to roll out central bank digital currencies. So if you look at um, a 2018 definition by the G7 working group on stable coins, they said um, they define, the CPMI and the Markets Committee defined CBDC as a digital form of central bank money that is different from balances in traditional reserve or settlement accounts. So they're decoupling it from you know, the traditional money and, and the traditional process of making money, and they're kind of saying we're just going to be like a bank that can print out money when we want. And um, it's it's what I'm finding from Official Information Act requests is this is entirely decoupled, or it appears to be, from Parliament, from MPs, from Ministers, so this is my my concern is that this is just to see this is just a central bank wrought, right? Um, and we can see from the way the scientific this the, the, so the, the banking literature and the information through uh, say the Bank of International Settlements um, and the IMF, which
0: our uh, RBNZ has a share in, as it turns out.
1: Okay, out. right. So there. So this is all. It, this hasn't been led by you know, publics of New Zealand saying we want a CBDC, you know, this has been utterly, totally and 100% led by the central banks. And we need to understand that this is outside the democratic process.
0: And do you see, well, you just mentioned the political side of it, not really engaging. Do you think that's because the perception is that we kind of already have digital money and it all sort of blurs out, and unless you're down in the weeds and realize that the, this stuff can be programmed, it can be used to um, uh, manipulate lifestyles and uh, and choices, let's say, way more than you could ever um, think about in the, in the past, let's say, when you're using cash and you can anonymize your purchases. Um, why the lack of engagement, do you think, on the political side? Because that's the line of defense for us.
1: I... I feel that there is a complete decoupling by the Reserve Bank and it's just moving on with its own plan. You yeah. know, so we know if we look back to the new Reserve Bank Act, it you know and if we look at the, the 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 report from the select committee, um they said that you know a massive part of the old act is being repealed. You know, we know that the the purposes and principles of the new Reserve Bank at put reserve bank at the start of, you know, they've centralized their priorities around the Reserve Bank itself rather than the public good. And so my sort of an interesting tipping point for me was I'd not I'd seen that the consultation um that happened a couple of years ago that overwhelmingly people were concerned they wanted to keep hard currency but there were a few people that there were talking about programmability and we know that for example the bank of england is very clear about the extent of programmability so is um you know people working in the the bank of international settlements the imf so the programmability is well known but we're not seeing that discussion here and we didn't see an analysis of the concern of programmability so so, Paul, if you look on, say, Google Scholar and you search for papers on New Zealand and CBDCs, you'll see that we're not studying it. We don't have scholars in New Zealand studying it. So we don't have kind of a quorum of knowledge that we can go to that we trust that is independent and outside the RBNZ, that is able to sort of look at the legal, the ethical issues and that the concept of the idea that is there a potential for a, an abuse of power. Oh, yeah, and, right. Um, and it and this, it, well, exactly. And so I knew that a lot of people were concerned. And then then in December, uh, uh, many of us saw this ad in LinkedIn pop up, and it was for a senior project manager for CBDC and Cash Trials Project. And we, we were quite surprised. So I had seen this, and on um, December the 15th, I sent um an email to the RBNZ, an Official Information Act request, asking about the information flows between the Department of Prime Minister and um, Cabinet and RBNZ. Now, I received a response to that on the 11th of February by Jean McDowell. And um, what I understand is that the issues of programmability have been broadly ignored and the potential transfer of power to the RBNZ is sort of not really being discussed. So we're not seeing this, the information flows between Cabinet and RBNZ that sort of draw attention to this this massive kind of game change. Hmm. And so I I also sent an Official Information Act request to um, the DBMC, the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, to find out to what extent was the department of prime minister and cabinet privy to discussions they then transferred that to reserve bank of new zealand and then on february the 2nd they said we've re- we've searched the records there's no we don't hold anything in respect of advice or documents between the minister of finance that would fall within the scope of re- your request so apparently the minister of finance is not talking about cbdcs at all
0: don't believe i just can't believe that
1: i know um, therefore, we will likely refuse, but now to to find out, because it's after it with a new government, all this sort of thing, process of searching through emails with former ministers um, needs to be undertaken with and via the, get this, poll, Department of Internal Affairs, the DIA, and so they need a 60 working day extension to the 9th of May.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So it's pretty dodgy.
0: Yeah. All right, um, so there's that. The other story that uh, has been, um, well, we've been talking about because it's involved supermarkets and things like that, facial recognition, and you could tie the two together because if uh, and and we know that uh, now in Hamilton, they're putting in um, number plate recognition um, cameras to give real time data on who's in town, right? So um, here's my suspicious brain working. You know, you can you can put those data together. If you know someone's in a particular area, well, maybe your purchasing won't work in that area because, you know, and that's the, the programmability thing coming in. I think we have to think like that, even though it's a bit far-fetched to some people. Anyway, what do you have to say about facial recognition?
1: Well, it's it's been in New Zealand since 2000. Um, What has happened um, sort of since then is that uh, I think some people will remember that uh, there was an article in 2018 that Foodstuffs was quietly rolling out facial recognition, CCTV technology in some of its North Island stores. Then in 2020, the New Zealand police conducted a trial of Clearview AI. That was
0: sneaky, Um, wasn't it? That was sneaky.
1: Well, neither the police commissioner nor the privacy commissioner knew about this. So so that was interesting. And so, again, Paul, I look at the scholarly literature. I try to understand what's being published. What are our lawyers, our ethicists, our sociologists, who is looking at facial recognition technology, FRT, and what it means for democracy and society. And it's and the thing is often what we're seeing is a rubric where this is just about privacy. It's actually because of the asymmetrical power, it's about human rights as well. It it really is, because we don't know when there's a there's a red line or a tipping point where we where we're unable to appeal, but there's been a human rights um, Aggregation. Yeah. So, so after the 2020 New Zealand Police, Law Foundation released a paper called Facial Recognition Technology New Zealand Towards a Legal and Ethical Framework, and that's really quite good and it sets out um, on page 10, and oh, I, I'm going to be putting uh, this up on my substack, J-R-B-R-U-N-I-N-G.com. Substack.com, um, and so there's recommendations on page ten, and it's quite good. And I contacted um, the senior author Lynch, and she said that so far some of them, particularly around the police, because of course this was inspired following the police rut row, um, and then then the police contracted Lynch plus and Andrew. Chen, and they wrote um, a policy paper especially for the police called Facial Recognition Technology Considerations for Use in Policing. So these are basically the only two recent papers on facial recognition um, that I can see. Um, there's another one by Emma Tomopo, um, 2022, an ethical framework for facial recognition use in New Zealand. And what she says, and it's, it's quite simple, currently there is a lack of an ethical framework for legal entities to adopt, follow and utilise within New Zealand. This makes it it's an ethical grey area for businesses and individuals looking to utilise this technology. So what we can see through Lynch's work, for example, is, is a big focus on police, um, but we're not seeing work on, for example, what the DIA is doing behind the scenes with all their biometric data from the digital identity um, systems. Uh, we're not, and, and foodstuffs are sort of just rolling it out because they can.
0: And they're doing it because what they'll they'll say to prevent uh, entry of criminals into their stores and to prevent shoplifting, etc. and maybe, you know, the odd violent thing happens in there as well. But yep. surely that has to be happening to some level of scale to override all the obvious yes. issues, and we don't even know if that is happening at that scale, do we?
1: Oh, look, I'm I'm actually mates with a supermarket. Manager and he has been telling me for years the problem about the problem of theft. And I have to be really clear: the theft problem includes staff theft, not oh, just
0: okay. Radio, right Yes. Yeah. So this is
1: so the digital surveillance tech I think is very much seen as a deterrent. So they're hoping that basically, you know, that people will think, "Oh, I'm being watched, so I'm not going to steal." So, so you've got that, but then you've got actually all the ethical issues and. Um, Um, there's really good work and I'm linking to it on my substack being done to show that often uh, the facial recognition technology does really bad when you're not white because a lot of the uh, the systems have been based around white people. So it kind of gets it really wrong. And, of course, often communities of colour might have less money and they might, you know, and so often they might roll out this tech where there's poorer populations. So there's a lot of little ethical kind of Really concerning things that, and of course, when we're largely not talking about this, this is another thing we could be actually resourcing um, if we if we could use that. Oh, if we could take pay account of the fact that yes, we can put aside appropriations to pay scientists and researchers to do more than just produce technology with ip in new zealand we can do it to you know for kaitiakitanga to steward new zealand steward technology all that sort of thing
0: yeah um out of those two things cbdc and facial recognition i don't think i've seen any major features or discussion about it in any sort of mainstream media
1: no so in february February the eighth, RNZ released an article talking about this is the day that foodstuffs is uh, are going to start a trial um, of um, so twenty five new world and pack and save supermarkets yep. in the North Island. So, but then in the thirteenth of February, Kirsty Wynn of New Zealand Herald released and it, you can search for it. Woolworths Everyday Rewards members can have license plates video audio and ip addresses recorded yep. and so so the, the privacy commissioner had been consulted about the first one on 8th of feb but not the 13th of feb one and so what we're seeing is once again we're on the the, the back foot um with this the, the way that private companies are, are taking this in um, into account. Um, and so let's be clear here. And Lynch at Ellen 2020 said that the systems with capability for targeted and mass surveillance activities that they, they are here, they can clearly pose high risk. And this includes BriefCam, where they analyze CCTV um, footage, including facial images, a thing called new X, which are searches of unstructured data and platforms for faces, guns, and body markings. Um, a thing called C E L E, searches seized, seized apparently, cell phones for data, which includes yep. FRT capability, and automated biometric information survey. So that's all in New Zealand right now.
0: So there's that. And just before you go, what are Forever Chemicals?
1: Okay, so Forever Chemicals are perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl substances. They're, they're called PFAS. They're the Forever Chemicals. We know about them. They're in our fry pans. Um, a lot of us know that they're on, um, say, takeaway food wrapping paper and they can be stuck in cosmetics and and, they, and most people don't know, but they're widely, widely um, added to pesticides as well. So they're widely sprayed with pesticides. So what, what's happened? Is the New Zealand EPA has said that from the end of 2027, cosmetic products containing PFAS can no longer be sold and supplied in New Zealand, um, and so this is really interesting. So everyone's saying, "Oh, New Zealand EPA, they're just they're a leader, they're amazing." And um, California, with 40 40 million people, has has already done the same thing. So I think California is leading the way. Um, New Zealand EPA is a follower, not a leader when it comes to chemicals regulation. And we know that not all PFAS will blindly be banned. There are derogations, there are there are exclusions. Um and yes, yes, forever chemicals are in makeup. So in the UK, their finding is that um already the makeup suppliers, for example, are phasing out the chemicals. So this is something that's already happening.
0: So so they're not, you know, doing anything really incredible amazing here. It's the no. Following and everyone else is doing it, and, but they're getting a PR bump from
1: it. They're getting that. So what I want to say is, okay, so if you think you're going to focus on PFAS, I need you to test the sediment of all the lakes. I need you to publicly <laughs> yeah. talk about the PFAS in our wastewater and not just focus on a very small range of PFAS but long and short chain because they're coming out of wet wastewater, the longer chain are in our biosolids. And um, our drinking water levels are really terrible compared to, say, Europe. So so when they did a recent well water analysis in New Zealand, they say, oh, it's well below the maximum acceptable value for our drinking water. Not a problem. It's like, well, yeah, if you lived in Europe, it wouldn't be, it, it would be over it. And one of the big things we need the EPA to do is to look at class-based regulation. And um, so there's a lot of work that the EPA need to do to actually um, acknowledge the extent of problem with PFAS and um, and so just banning them in cosmetics is a little bit like lipstick on a pig.
0: Yeah, well put. Nice way of uh, putting it. And to end on, thank you, Jody Brunning, for popping in and updating us on those matters. Really interesting.
1: Such a and pleasure. We'll t- Thanks.
0: And we'll talk again soon. All right. Okay. Thank you. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.